0: Hey, we're going to be in Matthew 24 today, if you want to turn there. Uh, Memorial Day is a day that we remember uh, and honor those who sacrificed for us. Um, I would suspect that there are uh, stories, many stories, of people, men and women, who went off to war making a promise that they couldn't keep. Because we remember people who sacrificed their lives for, for us to have this freedom that we have today. And sometimes you'll make a a promise that because of extenuating circumstances, you just can't keep. And and so today we're looking at this this thing that Jesus says. We're in the middle of, actually we're at the end of a series. And Jesus said, I am coming soon. So just like men and women who go off to war and they say I'm coming back, but they don't come back. Well, now we've got Jesus and Jesus. This is the book of Revelation. So this is the last book in the Bible, the next to the last verse of the Bible. And Jesus says, I am coming soon. And it's been 2,000 years, and I think the question has to be, <laughs> when? Like, soon for me doesn't mean 2,000 years later. So did we get it wrong, or did he get it wrong? or I mean, did we, did we just miss it? Like, did he come back and we missed it? Because I think the question is, okay, Jesus, where are you? And sometimes, like, do you remember those Southwest Airline commercials where they they would do something really, you know, horrible or embarrassing, and the tagline was, do you want to get away? And sometimes something really bad happens in our lives, or we got a bad diagnosis, or something's not going the way we want, and we pray for the second coming. Like when you're driving down the road and you see the blue lights, it's like, Lord, this would be a great time uh, to come back. You know, we think that way. And so Jesus says, I am coming back soon. And there have been predictions around the return of Christ forever. I'm going to give you some examples later on, but it really super interesting. The one I've lived through uh, around the year 2000, eh, those predictions were everywhere. Interestingly enough, in the year 1000, those predictions were everywhere. And so every time there's like like a lot of zeros, uh, people are thinking it must be now. And prediction after prediction is around Jesus is coming back soon. And growing up, I grew up in in church and we talked about the second coming and the rapture and the tribulation and all these things, and it was always presented to us as if it was happening soon. And you ask any octogenarian if they believe that it's coming soon, and they will say yes, because that's what they've always heard. When I, when I grew up, I grew up at Gethsemane Baptist Church, Danville, Kentucky. That's my hometown. That's my home church. There was a little lady named Ida Sampsel. She, uh, she was delightful. And Ida, she sort of managed our library at church and one of the, one of the greatest people to ever walk the planet. And she was convinced that Jesus was going to come back before she died. And she was wrong. And, and so we, we sort of wonder... It, when is this going to happen? Okay, so uh, just so you understand, so I had to understand, the word soon is the Greek word tachou. You should be saying tight right now. Uh, tachou. It doesn't have to mean like immediate, but what it does mean is this. It means suddenly or without delay. So it reminds me of the launch sequence of... Uh, uh, A shuttle or a a spacecraft and they they all of a sudden the 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 clock they'll they'll check everything and the clock starts and then they start counting down and then when the launch sequence happens they hardly ever abort it's going to launch and so i get the notion around when jesus says this is happening soon that what he means is there's going to be a launch sequence and when it starts it's going to be soon So, how do we prepare for that? What do we do with that? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, in Matthew chapter 24, I want to set this up for you. Jesus and his disciples, they go to the temple. The temple was called Herod's temple. He's the one, King Herod is the one who built it. Herod was one of the more wicked people to ever live on the world, on the planet. Herod was jealous. Uh, He was uh, power-hungry. Uh, He had two of his wives, one of his mother-in-laws, and several of his sons executed because he was afraid they were going to take over his kingship. He he was ruthless. When Jesus was born, he had two-year-old boys in that region killed because he was afraid someone was going to take his power. He did lots of things wrong. But... He did one thing right. He, did, he, he was really good at building beautiful buildings. And he builds the temple. And Josephus was a guy who uh, was a historian in Jesus' era. And he writes about Herod's temple. He writes this, The exterior of the building lacked nothing that could astound either mind or eye. To approaching strangers it appeared from a distance like a snow-clad mountain. For all that was not overlaid with gold was purest white. And so in the middle of the desert, there is this temple, and it is spectacular. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it was phenomenal. And I don't know if you've ever been to a building where you go, wow, that is phenomenal. I'm, I'm going to show you a couple of, of today's most interesting buildings. This is the Museum of the Future. It's in Dubai. It was opened in uh, 2022. It is awesome looking. Really awesome. This is uh, the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. Look at that. It was not opened in 2022. I, I don't remember when it, it was founded, but a long time ago. Uh, this is St. Basel's Cathedral in Russia. I mean, look at that. Whoever designed that, wow. Uh, this is uh, Neuschwanstein, my wife would say. Neuschwanstein in germany uh, this is in milan this is the milan cathedral um, b- beautiful i picked this one last because it's white the building is white and that's kind of what the the temple would have looked like it would not have been this ornate but just magnificent and so this is where we find our story that's the setting of the story Jesus left this temple, this beautiful, this amazing building and was walking away from with his disciples when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to the building. (laughs) Like, um, dude, have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, this is this is awesome. And I've got a daughter named Mallory, our second daughter, and she was always the one who noticed the little details. We'd be walking, you know, from here to there, and, and she would notice the flowers, and she would point out the flowers because she was always noticing the details. And this kind of reminds me of that. It's like, Jesus, have you, have you stopped to look at the temple? And, and, and Jesus, this is a little bit of a buzzkill. Um, do you see all these things he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. That would be like me saying, hey man, look at all these wildflowers. Aren't they beautiful? And you go, well, if summer's coming, they're all going to die. That's kind of what Jesus did, does. He says, well, this temple that you are so impressed with, eventually will be not one stone left on another. And sure enough, this actually happened about 40 years after Jesus predicts it. The... All right, so Jerusalem is part of Israel, but Israel is occupied by the Romans. And the Romans typically had a heavy hand with everybody they conquered, but not the Jews. They were sort of light-handed with the Jews, but the Jews paid them back by being rebellious. See, basically the Romans said, uh, all the gods are cool. We're cool with everything, but you gotta, you got you to... Gotta, you have to also add to whatever God you have the Caesar. You have to add the Caesar. And the Jews were like, no, we're monotheists. We, we believe in worshiping one God, only one God. And so there was always this tension. And then uh, after Jesus, uh, his crucifixion, there was more tension and the Jews rebelled and the Romans came in to squash the rebellion and they burned the temple to the ground. Now, it had stones. Jesus says, hey, there are going to be stones. And what happened, this is so interesting to me. When the temple was burned, the gold that, that overlaid so many of the, uh, uh, of the articles in the temple melted and ran into the mortar of the stones. And therefore, the Roman so- soldiers literally dismantled The temple, stone by stone, to get to the gold. Super interesting. All right, so Jesus goes on. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And I think there's a lot of us that sort of wonder, when is this going to happen well, the temple was destroyed in, four, uh, in 70 A.D. So some of the people around when that when Jesus said that w- would have uh, witnessed this. But now they're asking him a, a different question: When are you coming back? All right. So Jesus answers. It's a little vague. Look at this: the sign of the coming of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. And when I read that, I think uh, that's like Batman. Wasn't Batman the one that had the the sign in the sky? Was it Batman? Yeah, have you ever noticed how many, how many uh, mans there are in superheroes? Aquaman, let's name them. Aquaman, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Superman. Superman. Uh, what, who? I got them written down. Um, Hawk Man, did you know that one? Iron Man, Ant-Man, Rubber Band Man. Uh, <laughs> mans are everywhere, they're everywhere. Alright, so Jesus says, hey, 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 there's going to be a sign in the sky... And then he said, and there will be deep mourning among all the nations of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man arrive in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. With power and great glory. Now, let's talk about, I'm going to give you three or four things that we know, we can know about the second coming of the Lord. First one is this. It is unpredictable. Please hear me here. Jesus said, no one knows. Say it with me. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. No one knows. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't know. You don't know. You you do not know. We don't know. Nobody knows. That's the whole thing. Nobody knows, and nobody knows. But people have guessed, lots of people have predicted. Many heretics have predicted. There's a a lady by the name of Ann Lee. She started the Shaker Movement. Y'all know about the Shakers? Uh, The Shakers were in Kentucky. I don't know if y'all had them out here. Uh, The Shakers, uh, Ann Lee uh, predicted that Jesus was coming back in 1770. Uh, He didn't, but the Shaker Movement, they kind of died out because they didn't believe in in men and women uh, getting together sexually. So they had a man's dorm and a woman's dorm. And the reason they're called Shakers is because they danced a lot to relieve the tension of having to live in a man's dorm and a woman's dorm. that's what they were all about. And they made furniture in their spare time, which is great furniture, by the way. So, Anne Lee said 1770. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness, he predicted Jesus would come back in 1874, in 1875, in 1878, in 1914. He, he was old for 4. Uh, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, he said that Jesus would return in 1891, and then he re-predicted a few times. Herbert W. Armstrong made several attempts at figuring out when Jesus was coming back. But it wasn't just heretics. People like Jerry Falwell, uh, John Wesley, Hal Lindsey, Ed Dobson, Jack Van Impe, Pat Robertson, they all sort of gave general ideas saying things like, Jesus will come back in the next ten years. And perhaps the most famous one, there's a guy named Edgar Wisenant who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. I've mentioned this before. He was so confident that he writes this, only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. Yikes. I mean, look... Uh, he's not good at predicting, but he's really uh, confident. Uh, so you got to give him that. He said, "I would stake my life that Jesus is coming back on Rosh Hashanah, which was September 11th through 13th, 1988." People have predicted, but when Jesus says, "No one knows, not even the Son," if God isn't telling Jesus, I'm fairly certain he's not telling some random dude. Or that. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, um, Paul says this. Paul is this writer of much of the New Testament. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Every parent in this room who's ever taken a vacation with a child... When you're driving down the road, you're going to Disney or you're going to uh, Dollywood or you're going, you know, to uh, uh, Gaffney, you know, wherever you're going. Uh, you're going somewhere and it's going to be great, right? And your kid in the back, back says, um, are we there yet? And every dad, uh, every car, uh, every time will say something to the effect of, we're not there yet, but we're 10 minutes closer than the last time you ask. And this is Paul basically saying, we're not there yet, but we're almost there. So stay awake. It's about time. It's almost there. We're we're almost there. And to us, he would say... We're almost there. If you are a business person and you have an administrative assistant and you say to him or her, hey, I need some papers drawn up. When I get back, I need to sign these papers. You can't DocuSign them. I have to physically sign them. We have to physically drop them in the mail. DocuSign will not work. When I get back, I need those papers ready. And your administrative assistant, she calculates, oh, he's on flight 972 on Delta. He's been in Minneapolis and now he's flying to, uh, to, to Greece." Spartanburg, and he arrives at at whatever I just said, nine forty-two, whatever it was, and and then I know it's going to take him seven minutes to get to his car, and then he's going to take a couple of minutes to. to to pay and then he's going to stop for a McFlurry and then he'll get back to the office and it's going to be 11.10 and you get there at 11.10 and she's calculated perfectly when you're going to arrive but she's not or he's not actually gotten the documents ready. Would you be happy? Jesus never asks us to predict our ETA, to predict his ETA. Not one time. Did he ever say, hey, I'd like you to figure out when I'm coming back. In fact, remember what he said? No one knows. Nobody knows. I like ETAs. I love them. When I'm driving somewhere and I put it on my Waze app or my Google Maps or whatever, and it'll say, you know, your destination, you're supposed to arrive at 102. Men, let me ask you a question. When it says destination 102, your estimated time of arrival, what does that mean for you? We got to get there at 101. That's right. That's a challenge. It's a challenge for us. 102 my eye. Uh, I'll show you, Mr. Ways app, little guy. I, you know, that's what we do. Well, Jesus never asked for an ETA to be predicted. He just didn't. He never said, hey, you should do this. In fact, he says stuff like this. Therefore, keep watch. Be alert because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? When I was a teenager and my, my parents would be out and I would have uh, someone over to the house, you know, maybe a girl. Oh, it, it never happened, but I, in my mind, I've heard of stories like this. Probably for you, you know, it might happen for you. And, and you, you're, you're constantly, you know, every sound, it might be the garage door and you're, uh, th- this is, therefore keep watch kind of of the the idea because you do not know what day your lord will come be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him he's coming and you can't know when it is unpredictable you just don't know something else about his second coming it will be personal in John 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. Jesus is giving this speech or this talk uh, toward the end of his life. This is the night before he's betrayed and crucified. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And this is bride and groom language. This is, this is all right, in Jewish culture... If I'm a, a young man uh, and, and there's a young girl over here, our dads get together and they negotiate a bride price. And as the husband or as the groom, uh, we have to pay some money to him. I would love this to come back, by the way. Uh, I've still got two that are available, so I'd like this tradition to come back. And they would pay the groom's, uh, they'd pay the bride's hu- uh, dad. And then once the negotiation is sealed, they would drink a, a cup of wine, and that would seal the deal. And then it was his obligation, the son, the groom's obligation, to go build a room onto the, the compound. They lived kind of in a compound called an insula. And, and it would be the groom's objective to go build a room and he would build the room when the room was ready, the dad would say, "Now you go get your bride." Remember when he said, "No one knows. only the father knows, because the father is the one who says the room is ready." And when it happened, the groom's entourage, they would walk through the street, so the whole time, this bride has no idea when, when the wedding is going to happen. Josiah, Sarah Margaret, what's the date? no, no, not how many days, what's the date, what time, you should know this, Josiah, what, five o'clock, okay, he looks at her like he doesn't know the time, okay, he doesn't know the time, some of us get to go to this, Uh, so, uh, but they've been playing in that forever, they, they, they have a, a venue, and there's a menu. They, it's kind of fun. Uh, and they got stuff. They're ready. Well, this think about being this bride. You have no idea. You're, you're sitting there, but you have to be ready because the groom, the, the dads of the groom might say, it's time. And, and the dude and his entourage, they, they go through town with torches, and they're blowing the horn, the shofar, they're blowing the horn and they're coming through town, and everybody's like, Oh, is it, it going to be a wedding? Because they're southern. Uh, they're going to be a wedding. And they go, and she's got to be ready. That's what he's talking about here. And I go, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. Jesus didn't say, Hey, I'm going to send some second rate angel to come get you. I will personally come back and get you. And he makes this promise. And promises are easy when you don't have to keep them. But Jesus makes this promise. I heard about this little uh, babysitter. She's sitting, these three kids, and these kids were, uh, were wild. I mean, just not easy to control. And the parents knew this, and it's her first time keeping them. And they sort of they go to dinner, but they're a little worried about what's going to happen. And they come home, and the kids are in bed asleep to their amazement. And they pay this little girl, and she's on the way out the door, and she said, oh, by the way, the way I got them to go to sleep was I promised them you would buy them a pony tomorrow. See ya. Uh, See <laughs> ya. So, so a promise that you don't have to keep is quite easy to make. Well, Jesus says, I am coming back. And it's not just personal. It's going to be powerful. Remember, we just read this. For when the Son of Man returns, he will know, uh, you will know it beyond all doubt. Remember I told you about Charles Charles Taze Russell, who said that Jesus was going to come back here, here, here. And then when he predicted 1916, and then it didn't happen, he said, oh, well, Jesus came spiritually. No. Because Jesus said, when he comes back, there'll be beyond all doubt. It will be as evident as lightning that flashes in the sky. You will know it. And I think about this, when I think about this, I think about the grand entrances that we have today. So it's the Grammys or it's the uh, uh, Oscars and, and people, they roll out the red carpet and these limousines drive up and these stars get out and, and the paparazzi are popping pictures and, and it is this, this, this production or if you go to a, a professional basketball game or a college basketball game and there's introductions and they'll, they'll introduce and, you know, I've been to a, a few Kentucky basketball games and they'll say stuff, you know, like, um, uh, and now starting at guard, a 6'6 junior from Walla Walla, Washington, uh, you know, uh, John Bunyan, and, and they make this announcement I kind of like that uh, when I preach, by the way. Nobody will really buy into it. Preaching today, I, I kind of like that. You know, uh, Maybe not the height, or definitely not the weight. But I'd like him to, to say, hey, you know, he's in the pulpit today. And, and Jesus says, hey, 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 there will be no doubt when he comes back. He's not sneaking in like the, the back fence <laughs> kind of coming in where nobody knows it. He's not sneaking in everyone will know. And, and look at this. He says, tell you the truth. The time is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live and those who are in the grave will hear his voice and come out. I think dead people walking around will be noticed. I'm not sure. Um, maybe not in San Francisco. Uh, but uh, yes, I think it will be noticed. Right? I do think it will be noticed. Now, People ask about the tribulation. All right, tribulation. Uh, the Bible teaches there is this uh, seven-year period of really, really bad stuff that goes down. And really smart people and really educated people disagree. But I'll give you the theories. There are people that think um, Jesus will come back. Um, and, well, the rapture will happen. The Christians will, will be, be taken uh, into heaven before the tribulation. They're called pre tribulation there are some who believe uh, Christians will live through half of it, three and a half years of the seven-year period. They're called mid-tribulation people. And, and so they'll have to, the Christians will have to endure some of the tribulation, but not all the tribulation. Then there are some who believe that Christians live through the tribulation and the rapture and Jesus' coming are kind of simultaneous. It's called post-tribulation. Uh, I have studied this exclusively, and I will tell you what the correct answer is. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I got no idea. I have believed all of them at one, uh, one time or another in my life. There's evidence for all of that. I am going to hope <laughs> for pre. I'm going to prepare for post. Let me tell you about a book you need to read. It's, called, it's by a guy named Nick Ripkin. N-I-K Ripkin. It's called The Insanity of God. Nick Ripkin has worked overseas in places where Christians are persecuted today. We get in our little American Christian bubble and we act as if all Christians are like us. We all have freedoms. We don't all have freedoms. There are Christians in China today who are persecuted for their faith. In fact, if you want to be a preacher in a Christian church in China, uh, they say, they kind of have this joke, unless you spent some time in prison, you don't qualify. You've really not suffered. You haven't earned it. There are Christians in predominantly Muslim countries who are persecuted for their faith today. To think that Jesus, for some reason, thinks that we American Christians are so weak that we can't face persecution, and he's going to take us right out. I hope you're right. But how is that fair to every other Christian throughout the centuries who's had to endure persecution for their faith? The church was founded on the blood of the martyrs of Christ. You read the book of Acts, everybody gets persecuted. You, you've got 11 disciples that were left, all of them are persecuted. Paul, uh, Peter said, I count it a, a joy to be persecuted. It, it connects me more f- fully to Jesus. I don't, I'm not going to go looking for persecution, but I don't think that we should just think we're not going to be persecuted and then there's this imagery and I just I'll, I'll let me qualify right now let me say this I really wish this wasn't in scripture but me not liking what's going to be read doesn't make it not true then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire and I just wish it wasn't true Jesus is coming and there will be judgment. It's just just how it is. Now, a fourth thing is it's something, this second coming is something we can prepare for. He said, keep watch because you do not know. You you can keep watch. You can be ready. You can be alert. I'm going to tell you about a company and you're going to think I made this up and I didn't. The company is After the Rapture Pet Care. It is true. All right, so this company basically says, when you're raptured, we've got non-Christians, in fact, the language is, uh, th- they are avowed atheist, agnostics, or blasphemers. Uh, I, I want to know how they got people, like, what do the ad say? Uh, Must love pets and hate Jesus? I-, I mean, I don't know exactly how that worked. But they will take care of your pet uh, after the rapture. Look at, look at Fluffy. Fluffy's so sad you're being raptured, but, but you can take care of Fluffy... By paying the after the rapture pet care people to... uh, Here's the word on that. Uh, The people who are left uh, after the rapture, they got more to worry about than your pet. I'm going to tell you that. Two things about this. This isn't something to fear. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a show on the Discovery Channel, I think it's Discovery Channel, that we watch some called To Catch a Smuggler. And it, basically the premise of the show is uh, it's airport security uh, looking to see if someone is smuggling almost always its drugs into their country. They're really good at it. I'm sure they don't catch everybody, but it's really interesting. And so they'll go and, and uh, you know, they'll, they, they, hide, they hide stuff every place. It's just unbelievable where they hide these drugs and, and they'll interrogate people. Somebody looks suspicious They'll, they'll interrogate them, or if, if their bag doesn't look right, they'll interrogate them. One time there was a guy who had a bass guitar, and he was, had the case, and they asked him to play it, and he couldn't play bass. Well, the whole bass guitar was made out of cocaine. It was really interesting. All right, so uh, in, a, in, a, in a few weeks, uh, Miriam and Elise and I, we're going to travel uh, to Switzerland to see my daughter Mallory and her husband Jefferson. And we're going to go through customs and we're going to go through the airport. And I'm going to get to Switzerland. And if they say to me, we want to search your bag, I'm going to say, have at it. Uh, let me open it for you. What can I do here? Strip search? I don't think so, but, uh, you know, if you you want that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Now, unless Miriam sneaks some stuff into my bag without my knowing it, and she really hardly ever does that anymore. uh, (laughs) (laughs) If you just knew my wife and knew how stupid that was. I don't have anything to worry about. I just don't. I'm not guilty. I love, the, I love the language. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're good to go. You can search everything you want. It's all going to be okay. And then it's something we can look forward to. We can anticipate Jesus was telling this parable, a faithful, sensible servant is one who the master can give the responsibility of managing uh, his other household servants and feeding them. And if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, he will be rewarded. You can be rewarded. It's kind of one of those things. Let me tell you just a quick cautionary tale. You can be warned and still not believe it, and that's your choice. In 1980, there was uh, talk about Mount St. Helens in Oregon uh, exploding. Like it was going to uh, erupt, is the right word. And so they told everybody on the mountain and near the mountain, hey, we need to get you uh, off the mountain. And there was one guy who refused to go, 83-year-old. His name was Harry Truman, no relation to the former president. And he had a cabin and 16 cats And he said, uh, this mountain would never do me... I've lived here all my life. The mountain would never do me wrong like that. I don't fear the mountain. So he didn't fear the mountain. And on May 18th at 813, the mountain exploded. The top 1,500 feet of the mountain disappeared. The sound of the eruption was heard 600 miles away. The eruption heated the air to 600 degrees. It was... um, The force was equal to a 23 megaton atomic bomb, nuclear bomb. Uh, I'm going to read this to you. Old Harry never heard a thing because a shockwave of energy traveling faster than the speed of sound slammed outward from the volcano. You can be warned and not listen. The bottom line is this. We don't know when, but we can be prepared. So if you're selling your house, um, what you want to do is uh, that your realtor will ask you to, to clean up, fix up, get everything ready, so that if there's a showing, it's ready. If any of you have ever lived through that, it is horrible. Because you can't, like, you have to, I mean, you, gotta eat, you eat a bowl of cereal, you have to clean your dish, it's stupid. Uh, you know, so you have to keep everything pristine until your house sells. And so you're going off to work on a Monday and, and you, know, you, you clean everything up and it has, to be, it has to be ready because somebody might come in and they, they, they want to see your house. They want to see it the best it can be. Well, okay. So we can be ready. How do you be ready? Well, a couple things. Three things. Get to know our Heavenly Father better. You do that by uh, reading your Bible, coming to church, being in a small group. All the things you know to do that you might not do. But look, you're going to spend eternity with the Heavenly Father. It probably makes sense that you get to know Him a little bit. And you serve God by serving others, so you find places to serve and you help people. And then you pray for Jesus' return. We looked at that verse really early on where Jesus said, I am coming soon, and then John says, Amen. Come on. Come on. It's okay to pray, come on. Let me end with this. I talked about it really early in the message. So often we pray, God, come back because I'm in a bad situation. But what if, let's go back to the launch sequence thing. So when they're about ready to start the launch sequence, they they ask the control tower, asks the, the astronauts, uh, do you have enough oxygen? Are the oxygen tanks full? Check the oxygen tanks. They'll check, and it's okay. And they'll say, "Are, are you? Are your seat belts buckled? You, know, you, you really don't want to, uh, you know, go into space without your seat belt buckled." And they'll say stuff like, "You know, do you have enough tang? You need tang. You know, uh, you have enough stuff, right?" And they have to write supplies. And they check all this stuff, and when everything's checked off, then they hit the launch sequence button. Not until everything's ready, then they hit, then they say, "Okay, it's time to go." Time to start. So maybe our prayer needs to be, I'm just going to challenge you. Maybe our prayer needs to be, Lord, is there something I can do that will start the launch sequence? Maybe you're waiting on me, you know, to to witness to somebody or read something or do something. Maybe I I am the, the, the linchpin of the launch sequence and I don't want to hold you back. So our prayer can be, Lord, show me what I can do to instigate, to, to start the launch sequence. Because I can tell you this, life here is it's great, but sometimes it's hard. But then there's heaven, and it's going to be 24-7 being with the Lord, and it's going to be awesome. It's kind of why you need to get to know Him a little better. So my prayer for us is that we would not be scared of all this stuff. We Maybe we don't even think about, hey, when's it going to be happening? But we're just going to be ready. We're just going to be ready. Let's just get ready. It's going to happen sometime. So we might as well be ready. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge of this message, to, to be ready. And for the promise of this message, that you're going to come back. And I ask, Lord, that you would... Help us as we prepare for your coming. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.